This is Mayo Clinic Talks, a curated weekly podcast for physicians and healthcare providers. I'm your host, Daryl Chutka, general internist at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Arthritis is one of the most common reasons individuals give for eliminating exercise from their daily routine. Yet the American College of Rheumatology feels that exercise should be one of the mainstays of treatment for those with arthritis. So how do we convince our patients of the importance of continued exercise despite their arthritis? Are some types of exercise better than others? And can exercise make their arthritis worse? Today's topic is exercising with arthritis. And these are some of the questions we'll be asking Dr. Ed Laskowski, a sports medicine physician in the Department of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation at the Mayo Clinic, and a good friend of Mayo Clinic Talks and one of our best educators. Ed, so nice to see you back again. Oh, it's a pleasure to be back, Daryl. Thank you. Well, this is such a common topic. In fact, just this morning, one of my patients, that was his main concern. He has arthritis and he wanted to know what are some safe type of exercises he can do. And uh, we spent a fair amount of time discussing that. So I want to see if I told them the right stuff. So let's, uh, <laughs> let's see if I can learn something here. Well, truly, you know, again, so for so many things, exercise is medicine, movement is medicine, and our bodies are made to move. And if, if all the benefits of physical activity could be bottled into one formula and one pill, it'd be the best pill ever invented. So with arthritis, especially, you know, we, one of the things we say is motion is lotion. And, and that's really true physiologically as well. When we move a joint, we actually encourage glycosaminoglycan stimulus and, and we imbibe fluids into the joint, make it healthier. So there truly are physiologic effects of motion as well that occur, but especially for our whole body benefit. And, and with arthritis, you know, we may think that, oh boy, I have arthritis. I shouldn't be doing something. I shouldn't, I, I, I have to save myself because I have this and I'm going to get worse. And we actually find that, again, motion is lotion for people with arthritis. What we tend to emphasize is lower impact exercise. So things like walking is low impact, a stationary bicycle, elliptical trainer, water exercise. People don't like to swim, even water walking. If you get the water about up to here, you, the buoyancy of the water takes pressure off your joints. It's a wonderful way of getting motion in the body, motion in the joints without stressing the joints too much. The one thing we want to probably avoid in, in arthritis is impact activity, especially if we have arthritis in the hip or knee, those, those major load-bearing joints in the lower extremities. Running doesn't cause arthritis, but once we have arthritis and we run or we do a very high impact activity, we can flare it up and we can also stimulate some changes that are destructive there. So we, we tend to recommend low impact exercise and activity. The other component would be strength training. And, and almost every study we have with people with arthritis shows that people who strength train have less pain and better function. The, the muscles are just supporting girders about the joint. The more, the stronger our muscles are, the less load our joints take. So those are the two essentials there. Well, I think the biggest misconception our patients have is that they're going to make your, their arthritis worse by exercising. And it's not so much exercise, it's maybe changing their exercise. So from one that they're used to doing, such as running, if they've got arthritis of the knees, maybe that's not the best thing, but let's find a non-weight bearing exercise for them. That's exactly right. And 
it's hard sometimes because uh, and running, especially running gives, it's just a special exercise that's efficient and it can be really a, a passion for people. So when you tell them, well, maybe best to start cutting back, it's, it's difficult, but for our bodies, we can get just the same benefit as far as cardiovascular benefit, calorie burning benefit from these lower impact exercise and activities. So if you like to run, water running is a great one. We even have our, our USA Marathon team run in the water to kind of preserve their joints and, and prevent from overload injuries. So you get the same, it's running specific motion and you're actually getting resistance to the water, but there's actually no load bearing on the joint. So hopefully there's something that people can find that, that is low impact that still gives them the enjoyment of the activity as well as the physical benefits of the activity. And when we're in 95 degree heat, it's a nice way to cool off too. Exactly. Well, you mentioned something that um, I have wondered about, and I think you already gave me the answer, but I see patients who do long distance running. And I've often wondered, is that going to end up causing them an increased risk of degenerative arthritis of their weight-bearing joints, either their knees or their hips? Is there any evidence for that? It's a great question, Daryl. And, and actually, multiple longitudinal studies have shown that running doesn't cause arthritis. In fact, it probably keeps the runner at a more healthy BMI and more fit to the point that actually studies have shown that they need less total joint replacement surgery than those who don't. So running doesn't cause arthritis. Um, unfortunately, a lot of arthritis is genetically determined. And whatever it is in our genes, if grandma and grandpa and mom and dad had it, that whatever triggers that proteoglycan matrix to start breaking down, a lot of times it's out of our control. So, you know, we may be doing all the right things. We may have all the right BMI and all that, that when that catches up with us, you know, that's, that's what really triggers that destructive process and causes arthritis. So the running itself doesn't cause arthritis. But again, once you've been diagnosed with arthritis, have x-ray evidence of some destructive changes in the joint that's when we kind of tend to make the shift over the lower impact exercise. All right. So let's go over again a little bit the exercise that we would recommend for somebody with either knee or hip arthritis. What are some good non-weight-bearing exercises that they could participate in? You know, a low-impact exercise, really walking. And we tend to kind of negate that and say, eh, you know, it's, you can get all the same benefits from walking as you can from running. So really no reason not to do it. And it is low impact on the joints. And we can stage it throughout the day. You can divide doses throughout the day. But again, and weight bearing is still good to do. And sometimes we think, well, oh, arthritis, I'll stick to the bike entirely. Well, if you're a woman, the risk of osteoporosis, we still need some kind of gravity challenge, load bearing exercise to help stimulate bone remodeling and bone maintenance. So walking is an excellent low impact exercise. Elliptical trainers or stationary bicycles, those are both very nice low impact exercise. On the bike, we tend to recommend a higher RPM, about 80 to 100. So they're spinning quite freely and not developing a lot of low end torque, which could irritate the patellofemoral joint. But both bike and elliptical, stair climbing machines, climbing machines, rowing machines, water exercise, you know, there's a large variety. So it's really important to find out what the person likes to do. Otherwise they probably won't do it. <laughs> so there, there's no ideal one, but there's a lot of tools we can choose from as far as low impact exercise and activity. So what do we tell our patients when they say they have increased pain after the exercise? Are, are they doing the wrong exercise? Well, and that's what we do have to find out. You know, it's, it's not practice that makes perfect. It's perfect practice. So we want to find out what they're doing. As it say, a rowing machine, there's, you know, rowing stroke is a, quite a complicated mechanic. So there's our technique issues there that we can improve. So, so there may be some training errors in the way they're doing it. 
but, uh, but then also teasing out what are they doing too much too soon? Because sometimes we hear these recommendations and our, our recommendations for fitness are the physical activity guidelines for Americans are 150 minutes of moderate activity per week. So 30 minutes, five days a week. But if somebody hasn't been doing any activity and the knee pain maybe has been really flared and they haven't really done anything, and then they start out right at 30 minutes, that may really flare it up. So a slow and gradual beginning and, and, and kind of entrance into exercise is, is very helpful. Otherwise, they get demotivated and they say, oh boy, I can't do this. I'm, I'm too sore. I'm too stiff. So, so those little bouts, those little doses are very effective breaking the exercise up into small. So if you know, you don't want to do a three mile walk your first day that you're trying this. So, so maybe walk in for, you know, three, five minutes and walk in the morning, walk in the afternoon, walk in the evening. We can use modalities to control pain as well. So ice, very nice modality after activity, heat also, both heat and ice can relax muscle and relieve pain and improve joint pain as well. So if there's not a lot of swelling, no problem with heat. Some people like to heat the joint before and ice afterwards, nothing wrong with that. And then again, that gradual progression, I think is really key. I think sometimes we think we can, you know, these numbers seem kind of high. Oh, I should do that. But, but again, that gradual uh, entrance into the activity is, is very important. Well, you've talked about exercise for those with the weight bearing joints, uh, knees and the hips. What about the patient who's had a uh, problem with chronic low back pain? Uh, maybe even radicular pain with some uh, narrowed frame and what's good for them? So there we would add to, I mean, still our regular fitness activity and cardiovascular exercise is important, but we would add there specific exercises for the back. So usually low back flexion exercises that opens up the, the foramen and, and, and hopefully if they have some nerve irritation there, that'll be helpful for them core strength and stability, very important. And, and sometimes when we say this, it doesn't have to be intense. All we, want, all we want to do is engage those muscles to be a brace, a protective brace. We say the best brace is your muscle brace, the best corset is your muscle corset. When those muscles are working well together, they, they unload the spine and protect the spine, even the spine with arthritis. And most people with arthritis of the spine won't be indicated to have surgery. Actually, surgery is very select cases for people who have significant nerve root involvement, but most will respond well to the program of activity. And also activity helps with weight loss and weight maintenance, which is so key. One extra pound forward is actually four extra pounds on the back. So you think of 10 extra pounds in front, that's 40 pounds on the lumbar spine. So to keep us moving and keep calories burning and, and all activity is important in that sense too. So, so even with back pain, hopefully again, there's, there's water exercise, there's the bike, there's, there's low impact tools that even while you're recovering from these, and, and again, we have studies that show that even with radiculopathy and all, we want to keep our patients moving. We don't want them to be sedentary as that, that will lead to just more gelling and, and, and actually more prolonged symptoms. A patient I had uh, a little while ago had uh, recurrent radiculopathy from some foraminal stenosis, and mm -hmm. he asked me about using a rowing machine, and I thought, I'm going to wait to talk to you before I give him that answer. I, I know that involves lots of flexion of the spine, so I wasn't sure. Is that good for him or maybe not so good for him? Yeah, there's a lot of tools out there. If somebody was a rower in college and has a passion for that, you know, we're going to try and make that work. But actually the rowing mechanic is, is a quite a complex stroke. So it requires a lot of coordination between legs, core, arms, 
And then there's some technique issues there too. So we don't want people just haphazardly getting on the machine and pulling that could, could worsen things. If they have a pad head, say, wow, I really wanna do this and all, then, then I think it's important to really have a fitness professional um, instruct them in proper mechanics of the stroke and really kind of working on those areas to ensure that they're, they're gonna be perfect practice and, and safe when they're doing it. Okay. Can you say a little bit about the advantages of both aerobic exercise as well as resistance training? And they're different. What are the advantages of both? Sure. Well, it's one thing that's interesting that no matter what study, we, we look at both aerobic and strength training for people with osteoarthritis and both benefit. So that's a good thing. Unique benefits from each. So cardiovascular exercise is essential for our heart health. And uh, again, that, that our physical activity guidelines, that 150 minutes of moderate activity or 75 of vigorous per week is cardioprotective, really cardioprotective and, and, and reduces long-term mortality and morbidity from heart disease also protective against 13 separate cancers. So hugely important to have the aerobic component going, but also the strength component gives us different benefits. And actually some studies have shown that some of the metabolic parameters improve more with strength training than aerobic training. In essence, the things that insulin resistance and the things that improve our metabolic profile and reduce the risk of type two diabetes, lipid profiles as well and strong muscles support joints well and unload joints. So, and again, it doesn't mean when we say this, we don't want people to think, oh, I gotta be a bodybuilder or oh, I gotta be Arnold Schwarzenegger. No, just really getting our own muscle to, to be doing some work. And we all, we lose about 10% of lean muscle mass after age 30. The good news is we can replace it, but we have to work at it. So by strengthening our muscles, now we have structural support girders that are gonna help unload the joint. So every step we take is not born just by joint, it's joint born by muscle and joint. And that's always helpful. So each has its unique profile of benefits. So one of the changes of aging is loss of muscle mass. And can that be stopped or actually reversed by strength training? Absolutely. And we say it's until you read your last breath, it's never too late. There's voluminous, again, evidence. There was a great study in JAMA a while back, and they, they looked at 86 to 96 year old individuals, long-term care facility, and put them on a strength training program. The, the gains were from 170 to 300 percent, incredible gains in strength and in function. They, these people could get up out of chairs they couldn't get up from before. They could cross the street before the light turned red. So huge functional improvement too. So it's never too late to start. And, and again, with strength training, especially very important to have proper technique. And on mailclinic.org, if you search strength training videos, we have 35 videos that, that are using body weight, free weights, machine and tubing to show you the proper technique, because that's very important. But we really encourage people that it's never too late to start strength training. Yet it doesn't take long to lose our muscle, especially older patients. You know, they've been in the hospital for a prolonged period of time. Uh, they're amazed at how weak they are when they come out and how much muscle they've lost. You're exactly right. Yeah. Many studies show really after about three weeks of bed rest, all of us, no matter what age we are, lose, lose up to a third of our conditioning. And so muscle conditioning, cardiovascular. So it's very true. Well, most of the arthritis we've talked about has been the wear and tear, the degenerative arthritis, osteoarthritis. How about those with some type of inflammatory arthritis, uh, maybe rheumatoid? Are the recommendations any different for them? 
That's a great question, Daryl. And, and actually, you know, we used to say, well, maybe with uh, inflammatory, we would be a little more careful. And we certainly we respect the systemic effects of, of the disease, but equally as important, if not more, for people with inflammatory disease. Again, the clearance of some of the toxic products that are made in these conditions is important. Joint movement is essential for that. Joint movement is important for, again, the imbibation of nutrients into cartilage and articular tissue. It's important for maintenance of proteoglycan matrix, things like that. So very important. And, and in these entities that may cause stiffness in joints and, you know, motion truly is lotion. We, we, if we, and move it or lose it is kind of true. If, if we don't go through a full range of motion, we subtly get these joint contractures and those can progress over time. So we really want to make sure we're paying attention to all of these areas and making sure again, motion. It doesn't have to be running a marathon. It doesn't have to be intense weight training. It's just gentle motion of the joints. And again, when people are flared up, we're going to maybe respect that a little bit more, do a little bit less. But nevertheless, these individuals, have, it's research has shown that if even people with rheumatoid arthritis, if they're more consistently active, their systemic effects are less of the disease. So really essential also for that population as well. There's almost no population. We used to think that even in inflammatory myopathies, we should say, well, maybe you should hold off. Now we're finding out even in that population, very important to have selected exercises, again, to maintain motion and to maintain as much conditioning as possible. Because as you say, any, any bit of sedentariness and deconditioning, it takes a long time to recoup that. Mm -hmm. So it's good for all. Exactly. Well, I know it's been shown that the most important thing that we can do in terms of getting patients to stop smoking is give a strong recommendation to them to stop smoking. Is, the true, is that true for exercise too? Is there any evidence that our recommendation as a healthcare provider is effective in getting patients to start exercising? It's, it's a great point. First of all, not a lot of physicians will bring this up with their patients. And then some studies show only as little as one out of three physicians will even mention this aspect. So it's important to really make, if, if they don't hear us mention it, if we don't think it's important, our patients won't think it's important. So very important to, to just have that awareness and all. There's been some interesting studies have shown that if, that if a physician actually writes down and says, oh, well, you should do this and you should do that. And if they actually write down, okay, we're going to strive for 150 minutes a week of moderate activity for you. You like walking a lot. So I think you should walk 150 minutes per week. There was actually a 36% higher rate of compliance when somebody had actually been given a paper saying that they should do that. So the, the powerfulness of, of that prescription of exercise, and that's why we say exercise is medicine. The American College of Sports Medicine even has some prescription pads that you can get. There's a program called Exercise is Medicine. You can search that and, and it'll come up for you. And there's actually pads you can get that actually you can hand to your patient. Uh, something about that, that connection, it, it is a real medicine. And I think when we do that, it makes it seem more so to our patients. Mm -hmm. Well, Ed, can you give us maybe two or three key points regarding exercise to kind of summarize our, our discussion of exercise with arthritis? Mm -hmm. Motion is lotion. So it, 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 you may think, oh boy, I have this, I shouldn't move, but, but it's going to give you so many beneficial effects. So our patients will have a healthier heart status, cardiovascular status, healthier muscle status, and they'll have less pain and improved function if they do exercise. It doesn't have to be intense and it doesn't have to be dramatic. You don't have to run marathon. So slow and steady wins the race, just incorporating movement. Movement is medicine, incorporating movement into your life 
that's key. And then remembering the muscle, you know, muscle strengthening is very important. If we can kind of unload the joint and protect the joint with strength exercises, that's also gonna help our pain and function. So we may have arthritis, but quality of life with arthritis will be a lot higher if we can follow those principles. Well, we've been discussing exercise in those with arthritis with Dr. Ed Laskowski, a sports medicine physician in the Department of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation at the Mayo Clinic. Ed, thanks so much for sharing your knowledge with us. It's always great to have you join us as a guest and hope to see you back real soon. Oh, thanks so much, Daryl. It was great, as usual. You can now listen to over 100 different medical topics developed for primary care providers on Mayo Clinic Talks podcasts. Find them at ce.mayo.edu or your favorite podcasting app. If you've enjoyed Mayo Clinic Talks podcasts, please follow us. Stay healthy and see you next week. 